This is Lightning Power Lunch, Stanley Cup Playoffs Edition, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Kucherov, looking things over. Shoots! Score! There you go. Kucherov! Kucherov! shoots. Kucherov! Kucherov shoots. A short side goal. It's 3-1 Lightning with 4.06 <laughs> left in the third. I love when he shoots, man. Cross it right circle. Sergachev. Shoots, save, made, rebound, Colton, score! Colton! Another rebound in front, Colton buries it, it's 4-1 Lightning with 2.16 left, another power play goal, their third tonight. It definitely sucks to not have Pointer here, and but he'll be with us. But you know, we, we got pairs in there, and you know, he's a Hall of Famer, and you know, he knows what he's doing, and he saw Pointer through through a year. You know, he saw what he did, and you know, he's really good down there, and so we didn't, we didn't really change anything. We just stick to the plan, and you know, execution was the key. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Did Steve Ersnick just find a Nikita Kucherov clip longer than ten seconds? My goodness. How about that? Cooch coming in. It's a power lunch. I love that. Partner, mm-hmm. we don't get a chance to hear Cooch talk a ton. You know, maybe during the playoffs he speaks a little bit more because it's on a national stage. But that was nice to see. Yeah. Or nice to hear, you know? Well, usually in the playoffs, if he's doing the podium speech afterward, the podium press conference, it, it's following a pretty good game for him. So yes. he tends to be in a pretty good mood. <laughs> A little bit more talkative, maybe. It's smart. It's smart. It's not number one BS. In fact, the move he put on Aaron Eckblad is going to go down as uh, one of the better ones we've seen in quite some time. That that was all of the anybody could talk about, if you can talk on social media, on Twitter, and uh, replaying that over and over again. The inside-out move was... Mm-hmm was fantastic you know you, you talk about just individual performances partner and it is power lunch here on lightning power play greg Linelli with you along with dave michigan steve ersix our producer we're recapping the lightning's impressive win last night four to one did you have the lightning winning game one four to one although partner i will give you credit you talked about look you know just because the florida panthers are a juggernaut offensively doesn't mean the lightning shouldn't try and win these games by holding the panthers to one or two goals you do that you're gonna win and I'm not sure we thought the Lightning were going to score three power plays, but they did. And Nikita Kucherov and I thought Andre Vasilevsky uh, at different points in this game had moments where they took over. It wasn't for mm-hmm. the whole game. It wasn't for the whole game. Vasi more than Kuch, but that's the great part about players who are elite partners is that you know, they can be relatively quiet for an extended period of time, and then all of a sudden Kucherov... The move he made to get to that opportunity and then the move on Ekblad to get Perry the goal and then, of course, you know, scoring as well, finishing with two points. That's that's kind of what separates the Lightning from a lot of teams. And then, of course, Vassi, which I thought was the save of the game on Giroux, he seems dialed in. And if game one is any indication of how this series will play out, and I'm not sure it will be, but if it is, at least, you know, Vassi, I think, was was pretty focused from the start, and it was good to see Kucherov have himself an impactful game to start this series off. Yeah, so if you think about, like, what went into this Lightning win, how did they get this W? And I think there were a few things at play. Broad strokes, the special teams certainly were a key. The Lightning went three for six on the power play. 
and three for three in the penalty kill. So the Panthers are now 0 for the playoffs on the power play. They're 0 for 21 in the postseason, including 0 for 3 in this series. That was one. Two, the Lightning did defend pretty well, especially in the third period when they got the lead. I think they did a very effective job of locking things down and kind of dictating much of the rest of the third period. So that was part of it. They got key plays at key times, including some timely saves from Vasilevsky. And Kucherov certainly had his fingerprints on a number of those key plays. So I think kind of broad strokes, you can look at those elements and say, all right, well, that makes sense. The Lightning won the special teams battle. They made plays more so than the Panthers. And they dug in defensively, which they did. But it was a strange game, Greg. I don't know if you got the sense watching on TV. What I heard a lot after the game from people, hard for me sometimes with the headsets on to get a true feel for the crowd. Like if they're super loud, I get it. But I'm usually so dialed in on what's happening on the ice. I'm not paying attention to how noisy the crowd is. The, The comments that I heard after the game were, the crowd felt quiet and flat, and it was even before the Lightning grabbed the lead. And if that was the case, I think the reason it was the case was this was not an electric type of game. And in my extra shift, I compared this game to game one of Lightning Panthers last year, which I only did it because I think a lot of people were expecting to see the sort of game that we saw in last year's series punctuated by that first game that was high octane tons of chances well executed plays lots of goals come from behind situations for both teams incredibly dramatic this year's game one wasn't that (laughs) this year's game one didn't have nearly as many scoring chances but i don't think that it was because both teams were sensational defensively I think both teams, really up until the point that Kucherov made his play to, to draw the penalty on Uyghur and then and then make the play to set a parry for the tying goal, for the first, whatever it was, period plus 15 minutes of the second period, for the most part, I think both these teams had plays that were available and they left them out there. They didn't shoot. They didn't shoot. They, they didn't execute. Like, sometimes a cross-ice pass was the right play, but the pass was just off target. It was almost like the teams, and, and, and I would have to go back and watch it kind of shift by shift, but it felt to me that both teams, in a way, did create something, create the start of something, and then they shot themselves in the foot. Either by, to your point, not shooting, or there was a pass that was there to be made, and they didn't make it. Like, you mentioned that, that save that Vassy made on Giroux. That was a play that we didn't see a lot during the game, but it was a play that was made because Carter Verhage attacked the offensive zone with speed and put a perfect pass on the stick of Giroux, who was in a perfect spot for a one-timer, and Vasilevsky made a terrific save. It's not like we saw, like, 15 or 20 of those, right, between the teams over the course of last night's game, but it's not as if there was nothing there. I think that the teams had some looks. There were some odd-man opportunities for both teams who were extremely dangerous off the rush, and they just kind of fumbled them away. I don't know if that's going to continue in the series. I think most people would expect that it's not going to continue in the series, that if these teams get chances to attack off the rush, 
with an advantage, whether it's a two-on-one or a three-on-two, they're going to make plays to make the other team uncomfortable. And I think they there wasn't a lot of that last night until Kucherov waved his magic wand. And he had had a quiet game up until the point that he drew the penalty on Uyghur. So if we go back and look at the, the first, what are we going to say, 35 minutes of this game, I thought the Lightning had a good first 10 minutes. They had the bulk of the possession. They drew a couple of penalties. The Panthers didn't really have anything going in the first 10 minutes. But the Lightning weren't able to translate that possession time into a lot of chances, and they they squandered the two power play opportunities. They had a couple of shots on them, but none of them were extremely dangerous. Maybe Brandon Hagel had the best opportunity in that first 10-minute span. He misses the cooch pass on a – would have been a tap-in. You know, well, I'm talking about earlier in the game he had a shot from the high slot. Bobrovsky yeah. made a pretty good save on it. That was later in the period that he missed that tap-in. You're right. Then after the second kill the Panthers got through, I thought they got some energy, and they had two plays that they made. They kind of dictated the second 10 minutes of the first, and they had two opportunities there. The first led to the goal. That was a coverage breakdown by the Lightning where, first of all, the Lightning had the puck in the offensive zone, and two of their guys fell down, and the Panthers countered. Huberto had the puck off the rush, and the Lightning gave him room. That was something Phil talked about. Like, Huberto led the league with 85 assists this year. If you give him time to make a play, he's going to make a play. He had time there, and then the Lightning lost Duclair on their on their coverage. He got open kind of at the, at the back post and shot it in. That was the one breakdown. The other breakdown was off a turnover the Lightning had where Bennett gets an in-alone chance, and Vasilevsky makes a really key save on the Bennett opportunity with his right skate. That was still in the first period. So the Lightning get out of the period, down one nothing. Basically, they made two mistakes in the first period, and one of them ended up in their net. The Panthers controlled much of the opening minutes of the second, really through the halfway point. They were the ones that got two power plays, and their first one was quiet. Their second one was less quiet. That was the power play in which... They had some activity around the net, and Chernak probably saved a goal, blocking Montour's shot, but got hurt. So we're going to have to monitor that situation. But the Lightning got through that that segment, still down one nothing. But it wasn't like the Toronto series where you just felt the Panthers completely dominated and tilted the ice excessively. They On their first power play, they looked like a team, frankly, Greg, that had been struggling in the power play. They were trying to make those passes cross ice, Barkov to Huberto, they were offline. The pucks were not going stick to stick. They were hitting off the boards and caroming to the player. So they were maintaining possession, but they weren't getting the puck in a position to do something with it and make a play. So that's what I saw from the Panthers, just not the level of execution that we're used to seeing from them with the puck. And it was it was pronounced throughout the game. But when they had a chance to kind of grab this game by the throat in the second period and make a one nothing lead, maybe two or three nothing, which we saw from them throughout the regular season because they scored so many goals, they kind of treaded water during that stretch when they had the bulk of the possession. And then Kucherov makes his play, two plays. The one on Uyghur, I guess, was an outside in where he's kind of more on the outside and cuts to the middle, and it's a breakaway unless Uyghur slows him up. So Uyghur takes a penalty for a hook, 
And right off the bat on the power play, the Panthers break out shorthanded Barkov and Lundell. Barkov tries to center it for Lundell. It comes in on Vasilevsky. He knocks it away right to Kucherov. Now you got two Florida forwards caught deep in the offensive zone, and Kucherov counters. It wasn't like a clean odd man rush at that point because the Panthers are hustling back defensively. But then Kucherov makes his move on Ekblad, and that turns into a wide-open net for Corey Perry. And not only the move, Greg, the pass was a no-look pass. I mean, that's why Bobrovsky was so out of position. He's not really expecting – he's watching Kucherov. Kucherov's looking at him. So he's probably thinking, is he going to shoot? Is he going to dance behind the net? i got to stay with him. Instead, the puck comes cross ice. And Perry Perry could have stick-handled that puck literally into the net. That's how open it was. And that jump-started the lightning. And they really controlled the rest of the game with the notable exception of the penalty that was called on McDonough in the third period that really wasn't a penalty. What an awful call that was. It was an awful call. But, look, the Lightning got through that kill. The Panthers did generate some pressure on that power play, and then they had the chance from Giroux right after the power play ended, which Vasilevsky stopped. At that point, it was 2-1 to because the Lightning had gotten the lead early in the third off a face-off play with Belmar, which we can talk about. But, like, from the point that Kucherov drew the penalty through the end of the game, I thought the Lightning tilted the ice. And they got a huge boost from the power play goal to make it 1-1. And then before the Panthers could kind of recover in a way, early third, the Lightning had some chances on Bobrovsky even before the Belmar goal. There were some plays around the net. I was looking at the play-by-play. I think the Lightning had three or four dangerous shots prior to the Belmar goal, which came early in the third. Earlier in the third, they had those dangerous shots. Belmar then scores off a rebound in front to make it 2-1. to one. And the Lightning really controlled much of the rest of the period until they got called for that penalty. But they get through the kill. They got a successful challenge on a puck out of play, which was an obvious call. Then they get the save Vassy makes on Giroux. And then right after that, Forsling takes a terrible penalty. Maybe out of frustration, Kalorn blocked his shot and he punched Kalorn. Lightning get the power play, score the goal. There's a goalie interference challenge, which we can get into. Why the goal was allowed to stand, because there was contact on Bobrovsky. But because the Panthers lost the challenge, Lightning got another power play on which they scored another goal. So 2-1 in the blink of an eye becomes 4-1 late in the third and was ball game. So I guess the way I would look at it is neither team really found their game for much of the first two periods, but when the Lightning got that spark from Kucherov, I thought their game clicked into place way more than Florida's did when Florida had the run of play earlier in the game. You know what I'm saying? And and that was a big part of how they, they were able to take control and turn a one nothing deficit into a 4-1 win. But I don't know that anything that we saw last night is going to carry over into game two. I would expect, if I'm the Lightning, I would expect the Panthers are going to be executing more cleanly and more crisply than they did last night. I think they left some plays out on the the ice, frankly, Florida. But I also believe the Lightning did as well earlier in the game. Yeah, you know what's interesting, too? You mentioned about the way the game was played, and it it was just, you're right, it, it didn't maybe have a great flow to it. I will also say this. I think part of that was both teams passed up on some opportunities to shoot. I also think, too, there weren't a ton of rebounds. You know, not a 
a lot of bang bang plays where mm-hmm. there was a surge that happened and you know maybe the lightning were hemmed in their own zone for two minutes or florida was was you know having problems getting the puck out i, I you know i i thought the goaltending was actually pretty good on both ends there was some some sloppy play a bit and i think that's going to happen at, at times when you have two teams who have some firepower but if i was going to tell you dave before the game that pierre edouard belmar that line was going to score a goal uh ross colton would continue his his play this postseason which has been very good and Corey perry would get a goal i think you would take that mm-hmm. i think you really would because i think you know you look at it and say okay you know the the kucherovs the stammers especially with point being out those guys are really going to have to lead the way and in part kucherov did but look at some of the guys who don't get the headlines that n- normally go to a guy like Kucherov. Look at how much they contributed to that game. And then you factor in the block shots. And, you know, Chernak had to leave the game late in the second period. And who knows what his availability will be moving forward because that looked pretty nasty. And uh, you felt like that was a really gutsy win by the Lightning in many ways, understanding that they played that whole game without points. They played a good portion of that game without Eric Chernak, their argue, arguably most physical defenseman. And they were fi- they found a way to win, and they got some contributions from some role players that, you know, that that's good to see on the road against uh, a really good Panthers team. I, I think that was as good a performance as you could have anticipated for the Lightning in Game 1 on the road against the Panthers. And now the pressure is on the Panthers, yes. you know, to come back and, and get a win, which is exactly what you want. If you're a Lightning fan or player. Well, they had that last series, too. They lost game one to Washington in a much different game. I mean, they had a lead in that one, too, and 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 surrendered it. But they had a lead going into the third period against Washington and ended up losing that game. And they responded big time in game two, and they blew out the Capitals. So the Lightning have to be ready for a spirited performance from their opponents tomorrow night. But, yeah, look, I mean... This was not an electric type of game, but maybe based on how we talked about what the Lightning need to do against this electric team, that's exactly what the doctor ordered. I just don't know that it was the Lightning. The Lightning had a hand in the Panthers only scoring one, but I think the Panthers had a hand in the Panthers also scoring one as well. Maybe they were a little nervous. I mean, you talk about pressure. I think they're expected to beat the Lightning in the series. They know it. Most people are predicting the Panthers are going to win. They're not blind to that. They have home ice again. They're the President's Trophy winners. The Lightning lost Braden Point indefinitely, let's say. We don't know if he's going to be able to return. They're coming off a grueling seven-game series. It's not shocking if... The Panthers felt a little pressure coming into this first game that it showed in in how they executed. But now they have to, from their side, they have to throw that out the window because now they desperately need a win. And they remember what happened last year where they lost the first two at home. And that's a really tough mountain to climb. you got to win four in the next five. And while they showed good signs in some of the games after they lost the first two, they couldn't get yeah. the job done. So they know how important tomorrow's game is. But I don't have an answer exactly. That was a guess on my part about maybe the pressure of game one starting at home against the team that that you know that 
Like your path to the cup is going to go through the lightning. And, and there is something to that based on what has happened, you know, in a, in a past playoff series. But I don't know if that's it, Greg. All I'm telling you is that the Florida Panthers that were on the ice last night were not as crisp as the Florida Panthers that we had seen earlier this year. But I'm not sure, and again, I'm repeating myself here, I'm not sure if we saw the Lightning operating at optimum efficiency either because they had plays to be made. Sure. Particularly before Kucherov made his plays, right? I'm talking about earlier in the game. There were opportunities there that were missed. And whether it's your point about passing your way out of scoring chances and not taking a shot when it was when it was there to be taken, or just a play that was slightly offline. We'll see what happens here. I, I think the Lightning can actually find another I guess what I'm saying is I think the Lightning can find another level defensively which I think they're probably going to have to reach if they're going to keep the Panthers to that one or two goal against total. Uh, look, I think the fact that they held the Panthers to one goal is a might be the most remarkable stat of the night. And, and some people may quibble with that, and they'll say, well, look, the Lightning went three for six. Did you anticipate that? Probably not. The Lightning had 16 block shots. Did you anticipate that? Maybe. Fair point. I didn't anticipate the Panthers scoring one goal, Dave. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I didn't think the Lightning would wouldn't win. I mean, Lightning could have won four three, four right. two. I didn't. If you would have told me coming into Game One that the Panthers would score one goal, I would have been what? Well, my goodness, I on a list of ten things I thought would happen in Game One, that wasn't it. That wasn't on the list. I'm glad it happened. The Lightning are glad it happened. I think one thing we're taking from this too: Vassy looked pretty dialed in. Yeah, that was great to see. And I will say this, too, and uh, we can get some people's comments on it at Bolts Radio about the game last night. What did you make of it? What do you expect for game two? You know, you talk about momentum during a game and it fluctuates. I mean, there are plays, there are periods and and you really just can can go down the list. The the period uh, period two, Dave, where the Panthers go on the power play, they were four on three for 16 seconds. Mm hmm. And then, you know, they were able to go back on a on a five on four. That's where Chernak had the block on Montour at 619. Then at 359, the Lightning go on a power play. But remember, that's when Cooch draws the penalty. And then he makes the pass to Perry to tie things up at one. You want to talk about a momentum swing right there because... I don't. I mean, if Chernak doesn't block that shot from Montour, is that in? I think there's, so. There's a good chance. Yeah. I mean, hell of a play. It was a pinballing puck that went to the yeah. other side of the ice. That's why the net was open. Yeah. And Chernak, right along with McDonough, one of their best shot blockers, takes it up high. And to me, that's a little more dicey because now you're starting to deal with a hand, maybe an arm here, and, and hopefully it's just... A bad bruise. Did you see where it got him? I didn't. I didn't. Couldn't tell if it was like his elbow because he turned. So his back was facing Montour. So I couldn't tell if it hit him in the elbow or the arm or maybe even the back. But it clearly hurt The fact that he didn't come back was was shocking because, you know, that guy's tough as nails. And, you know, the Lightning had to to make do without him. But, I mean, for me, I, I kind of jotted down that sequence a little bit because there's an open net for Montour. Chernak 
in desperate fashion blocks the shot. And then a couple minutes later, the Lightning, because of Nikita Kucherov's greatness, is able to draw a penalty and then creates one of uh, the better plays we're going to see this postseason to Corey Perry. And now it's a 1-1 game heading into the third period. And then we saw what the Lightning were able to do in the third, getting three goals, two of them on the power play. So uh, desperation, you know, we talk about the block shots. It felt like the Lightning, Dave, had more than 16. But yes, I, I felt like they were in lanes. I felt, I'm going to go back to my original point. I didn't think there were a ton of rebounds. And some of that is Vassy rebound control I thought was really good. But I thought also, too, the Panthers, for the most part, again, there were times where they had a, a couple of looks. For the most part, were one and done. And I don't care how good you are offensively. That puts a lot of pressure on your shooters initially to make something happen with that shot right off the bat. And if you're not getting rebounds, because as we know in the playoffs, that happens a lot. You're able to crash the net and, and make the, the goaltender a little uncomfortable. I didn't get that sense that Vassie was too uncomfortable last night. And I felt like he was able to see, for the most part, the shots coming through. And the ones he wasn't able to corral, the Lightning did a nice job of either blocking those shots, Dave, or limiting Florida to just one shot. And that might have been some of the reason why it felt the game had a weird flow to it. That might have that might have been one of the reasons why the game ended up being that way, too. At least for yeah. I Again, I'm. I, maybe it's. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe it's two sides of the same coin, if that's the right expression. Like, did the Lightning bottle up the Panthers, and that's why the Panthers only scored one, or did the Panthers kind of shoot themselves in the foot with some of the things they did with the puck that contributed to them only scoring one? Maybe it was a little bit of both. Yeah, it could be. I, I just think that, like, look at how the Maple Leafs played in Game Seven. They had a lot of energy at points in that game. They were playing on their toes, and they tried to push. They tried to push really hard, and the Lightning met that challenge defensively. I'm not sure that the Panthers were operating at the same level offensively last night, but the Lightning I will control say this, that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. that's, that's how the other team played. The other team maybe didn't have its A game in terms of how it usually executes with the puck. So the Lightning are going to benefit from that in game one. Great. But they're also going to contribute with limiting turnovers, which I thought they did. Blocking shots, which they did. I agree. I thought they maybe had more than 16. Good penalty killing, which we saw. Timely saves from Vasilevsky with excellent rebound control. We saw that too. So... It, it was a combination probably of both. I think the reason I'm, I'm saying it the way I'm saying it, though, is that I would expect the Panthers are going to bring a higher level in terms of the pressure that they bring, the amount that they are playing on their toes, the amount of time they're playing on their toes, and how crisply they are executing with the puck. So we're going to see more plays like that for Hagee de Giroux sequence, which we didn't see a lot from them last night. And the Lightning have to be ready for that, which they they can deal with that. I mean, we saw they could deal with it in Game 7 against Toronto, but the Lightning shouldn't have to apologize for getting the game in the win column last night. No, and, no. 
and the fact that the Panthers weren't really at at peak Panthers hockey. That's that's part of it, right? I was pretty surprised that the Panthers didn't have a bit more snarl to their game last night. And maybe that was part of it too, yeah, I which couldn't, we saw like, in last year's series. I couldn't believe Bennett wasn't trying to stir things up. Uh, Lombard, I know he didn't play that much when he was out there trying mm-hmm. to mix things up. Gudis, you know how he usually just gets in there and whether it's a stick or a, or a, ch- a big check and maybe it crosses the line. I felt like the emotion of game one for the Florida Panthers against their biggest rivalry was pretty pedestrian. And maybe that's why I heard from people that the, the crowd felt flat. That might that might explain it. Because but, I, I was anticipating the Panthers, Dave, to come out and hit everything. You know yeah. how the first game is of a series. You try and set the tone. Now, maybe that wears you out later in that game. Right. I thought the Panthers were going to come out and at least establish some sort of physical play, particularly from the guys I just mentioned. And, partner, I didn't see any of that. And maybe, you know what? I think that allowed the Lightning to get settled in a little bit. I mean, I, I, I was, I think that speaks to where the emotion of the game was. I think the Lightning were fine to play a game like that. Look, you, mm-hmm. you guys don't want to get excited and play with some, some nastiness and sandpaper. Okay, you know, we're just gonna kind of do our thing here. We're gonna hang around, and you know, we, we're gonna make a play or two. We never saw a pushback to the degree I thought we would from the Panthers last night for an extended period of time. I think some of that was the emotion of the game. And I think, look, give credit to the Lightning for the way they played too. I I was, that was the biggest thing. And I, it probably, I think maybe we've answered our own question here, talking about the atmosphere from the, the crowd. They didn't have anything to root for. Mm-hmm. There were, there was nothing. You didn't see Sam Bennett try and take a stick to Sergachev's back or, you know, spray Andre Vasilevsky with some ice, and then all of a sudden a scrum ensues in front. I mean, there was nothing, nothing. And maybe our expectations were too high for a game one. Maybe it was a feeling out process. Maybe. Uh, all, all of that can be can be valid. I would anticipate game two to have a little more snarl from both teams. Yes. But I think I think game one, honestly, that that was to the Lightning's advantage that the Panthers never got to that emotion that you would typically associate a playoff game with, especially on home ice. Well, I don't think that's going to continue. It should. It can't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see way yeah. more emotion and way more energy tomorrow night. But game one is done, and it's on the lightning side of the column. So now they do have an opportunity to really put the Panthers in a bind if yep. they can get a W tomorrow night. Hey, before we break, I do want to run down the goalie interference, which yeah, go ahead, do it. I think I think fans get frustrated by goalie interference. Sometimes players and coaches and general managers maybe get frustrated by goalie interference. And I actually ran into Don Koharski at the airport. This is before the pandemic. And I flew to Dallas on my own to meet the team. This was coming out of the All-Star break because I had something going on at home. So the team left the day before. But Don Koharski who spends a lot of time in in Tampa, was flying to Dallas on the same flight because he was the supervisor for a game. This is before the Lightning and Stars met in the Stanley Cup final. So this was like January of 2020. So we saw each other, you know, waiting at the airport to, to board the plane. And I asked him, 
to explain to me exactly what I felt was a gray area in goalie interference. And what he said was, really, it shouldn't be a gray area. And the way he explained it made a lot of sense to me, and it's been incredibly helpful for me to understand why we see the calls made the way they are. So basically, and and maybe I've gone over this before on the show, Greg, if I have, I apologize, or maybe a refresher is is in order here, because we had a borderline one last night that in some ways could have gone either way. So here's the rule. The blue paint is a huge dividing line between what is considered goalie interference and what isn't. So when the goalie is in the blue paint and contact happens in the blue paint, virtually every advantage goes to the goalie. If the goalie is impeded in the blue paint in any way, and a goal is scored, it's getting taken off the board with one exception. And that exception is if the player that interfered with him on the attacking team is pushed in by the defending player. Or I guess you could say if the defending player interfered with them, but usually that's not getting called for goalie interference. So if the contact happens in the blue paint, think of it like 90% of the time it's advantage goalie, okay? If there is contact outside the blue paint, then the official must determine whether the contact was incidental or if the attacking player could have could have avoided the contact and didn't. Now, that is more of a gray area. But the advantage that the goalie has when the contact happens in the blue goes away when the contact happens outside the blue. So what we saw last night was on the Kucherov goal to make it 3-1. to one, Bobrovsky's skates are in the blue paint, but he's leaning forward, and Anthony Sorelli is not in the blue paint. This is why it was a little more complicated, because the goalie is in the crease, but the guy who made contact with him is not in the crease. So where did the contact happen? There were two areas of contact. Sorelli's jumping out of the way, and his back makes contact with Bobrovsky's mask, And his skate, I think as he was jumping up, makes contact with Bobrovsky's stick. But in that instance, both of those areas of contact happened outside the crease, and the officials determined that was incidental contact, which it was. It was incidental. It's not like Sorelli tried to make contact with the stick or the helmet. He's not even looking at Bobrovsky. He's jumping out of the way. Had that contact happened in the blue paint, there would not have been a goal. And that's exactly the description that we got from the league. Yeah, that's The fair. incidental contact happened outside the crease. Good goal. Now, you might say, why did the Panthers challenge? I think that it was not entirely clear when you first looked at it where the contact took place because Bobrovsky's skates are, in fact, in the crease. But if you watch the replay, you can see that the contact actually occurs outside the crease. And that was the important distinction for why that goal was allowed to stand. And look, maybe Andrew Burnett is saying, I may lose this challenge, but at this point down 3-1 with four minutes left, I got nothing to lose. I need this goal off the board. I'm going to roll the dice. Maybe I get the call to go my way. Maybe that went into his thought process. And if that's the case, all right. Like, I'm not going to argue with that because it wasn't a slam dunk, but the call that was made was the correct call. And I hope that helps clarify some of some of what goes into like what they're looking at 
for goalie interference. It's not easy, and there is some judgment involved, particularly if you have to determine, like, was there intent on the player who made contact with the goalie? Could he have done more to get out of the way? That, then it becomes more difficult. But if the contact is incidental and it's outside the crease, the goal should stand. I would agree with everything you just said there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if it's so thanks to Coho, who's becoming a television yeah. star as well, because yeah. they've they've incorporated him. And I know on the TNT coverage for sure that that he's he actually did a segment when we got back to the hotel. I watched the end of the St. Louis Colorado game, and there were two penalties called at the end of that game in the third period, not the very end. And and Koharski was was in the studio in between the third period and overtime, explaining why he felt both calls were justified. One call that wasn't, well, I should say, <laughs> yeah, no call. They definitely missed one. We're going to get to that <laughs> on the other side of the break, and uh, we'll discuss that a little bit in depth. And also, too, two guys right now for the Tampa Bay Lightning who are scoring that I think bodes well for the future when you talk about the Lightning trying to replace potential top six forwards. We'll get into that uh, a little bit when we return. Also, your questions at Bolts Radio. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. Steve Ersix, our producer. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner, host of The Block Party, and we had on an excellent guest this week. The Lightning are too busy for my nonsense right now, being focused on the playoffs, so I had on one of their big fans, Rays pitcher Tyler Glass now. I talked to Tyler about the most autographs he signed at one time. I think it's 7,500. About Wander Franco's greatness, who his favorite player on the Lightning is, and give a prediction on the series from Tyler. That's the Block Party with Seth Kushner, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Whatever you do, please don't headbutt. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. That's the Linelli public service announcement. Don't headbutt. Ben Schrott find $5,000 for his... Headbutt directed at Ross Colton last night. That was that was dirty. <laughs> I mean, that was. Come on, man. Yeah. What are you doing? Didn't we see a headbutt at the end of the regular season? I'm trying to remember. It was wasn't Darnell Nurse suspended. It was a Western. Game? Yeah, yeah. It was during the playoffs, right? So the Sherrod headbutt was nowhere near as flagrant as the Nurse headbutt, which I he only got a fine, but it was still a headbutt. Yeah, I mean, you just can't do it. Can't do it. I. I Come on, Ben. Be smarter than that. Um, so there was there was a point I wanted to get to when it came to the Lightning partner because I think we're starting to see the emergence of two players potentially taking on bigger roles. I mean, it's I think it's happening before our eyes right now, but I think it bodes well for the Lightning moving forward. When we start talking about replacing certain guys who may have to move on because contractually it's just tough to keep everybody. And that would be, you know, Ross Colton and Nick Paul. Now, if you want to throw Brandon Hagel in there, you can. Uh, Hagel maybe uh, was a little more accomplished coming in to the playoffs, but not necessarily. I mean, Colton hit 20 goals. Paul, we hadn't seen him really do what he was doing offensively until he came to the Lightning. But if you want to lump those three guys in, fine. But I, I specifically want to mention Colton and, and Paul. You know, partner, the, these guys are showing not only are they contributors, but they are – they're having an impact in a big way. And there, you know, a lot of talk earlier in the year about the third line. How would the Lightning replace them? I think a nice conversation would be are these guys players who can perform in an elevated role, in a top six role? 
mm-hmm. for the Lightning moving forward. Because I think what we've seen from Colton, really excellent shot, pretty good instincts offensively, finding ways to score. And Nick Paul, I mean, maybe you say the same thing. A little more size than Colton. Goes to the net, has a good shot. I mean, I don't know where you would rank him as far as in that top six, and, and maybe you don't feel that way, but those are two nice options. Again, Hagel doing what he's doing. I mean, these are these are three guys that you could look at and say, yeah, I mean, there, there's some offensive upside to these players, and they're all relatively young, which is nice to see. And I think it's been a, a nice surprise for the Lightning these playoffs, and Something they've certainly needed. Well, Paul is going to have an elevated role as long as Point is out. I shouldn't say he is, but for now, he's the guy. He's been elevated to the top six and was centering one of the top two lines. Cooper was kind of mixing up the lines a bit, at least through the first two periods, because we saw Palat, Kalorn, and Paul, but then we also saw Palat with... Stamkos and Kucherov too like Kucherov was floating Kucherov was with Paul and Palat as well so I'm not quite sure exactly why that was happening I don't think it was necessarily that Coop was looking for a spark it might have been after a special team sequence or a penalty kill situation where like Kalorn might have been out on the penalty kill so he didn't then take a a shift with his usual line mates I'm not entirely certain but there's no question that Nick Paul right now is one of your top two centermen with Braden Point out of the lineup. So he's going to get an opportunity to play even more than he had prior to Point's injury. Colton, there is no question, he is a big part of not only this year's playoff run, but also the Lightning's future. Because if we're under the assumption that the Lightning are going to have to say goodbye to some forwards between now and next year, Who's one guy they're keeping? Who's one guy they're going to ask to keep elevating his game? Colton, for sure. And I would I would include Hagel in that category yeah, I would too. as well because they have him locked up for a couple more years. I think, as we've talked about, the Lightning would love to keep Nick Paul, but I don't know if that's going to happen. You know, look, far be it for me to tell somebody how to spend their money. <laughs> but I, I think you have to find a way to sign Nick Paul, I don't want to get into the uh, too much of the offseason discussion here. I, I think that has to be a no-brainer. I think that has to be a no-brainer, and I think what he has shown is an ability to be pretty versatile. The size, the shot, I mean, he's, everything that you're looking for in a power forward, I think Nick Paul can be that guy in addition mm-hmm. to the skill sets that he has shown since he's come over in that trade. So just a, a, a couple of observations to keep in mind when you're looking at this Lightning team and you're talking about, well, who's going to replace who and, and where are they going to get guys to come up and, and fill a bigger role? I, I think you have guys who are you know, potentially waiting for an elevated role if they are, aren't already seeing it right now. And I think that does bode well for this Lightning team to continue to be competitive year in and year out in addition to what we see from the elite players uh, like the Kutrovs and the Points and the Headmans and the Vassies and the Stammers. Um, year in and year mm-hmm. out. We also had this question from Al, and I think it's a good one, now that Syracuse lost in heartbreaking fashion. Ugh, very last heartbreaking nights, fashion. With Cedric Paquette tied it up with, like, what, 30 seconds remaining? Yeah, sixth attacker goes, goal. Uh, he wants to know who might get called up from Syracuse. Good question. 
And he lists a couple of guys, you know, the the Radishes, yeah. the Clayson, yeah. Barry Boulay. I think Radish and, and Clayson, for sure, I would expect that Barry Boulay is going to come up. He has NHL experience. Cole Kepke had a really good rookie year. Yep. I don't know that he would join the quote-unquote Black Aces and actually be in line to get into a game, but it will be a great experience for him. I wonder if we'll see Nick Perbix as a Why member not, of the Black right? Aces finished out the year with Syracuse. I mean, partner, what is it based on, the Black Aces? Is it just basically... The I guys mean, they want to to have around not only as reinforcements, but also to gain the experience of being around the team. Right, so if you are Tangentially. Anybody, I mean, they're, they're around the team, yeah. but they practice at a different time usually. But, I mean, if you're anybody of note within the organization, I mean, to me, that's a, a no-brainer. You would want somebody up here just mm-hmm. being around professionals and being in that environment also jamel smith yeah you know it would have been better experience for all those guys though to win that round and move on to the next round but that's playoff hockey right laval ended up winning the two games in syracuse scoring late goals i mean the one they scored late to go up three two and win game two and then they scored late in the third period of game five to tie it and then won in overtime Syracuse had a 2-0 lead in that game, too. So that's a tough one. It is. You want those guys to go far, but if not, we'll see if the organization starts to add to the the Black Aces there. Nick says, Florida doesn't typically change much about their game plan, so as long as we play defense like we did in Game 1, we should always have a great chance of taking a W. Pretty clear now that we're starting to shift gears with three straight wins. Cooch is unbelievable. Well, Cooch was unbelievable. I mean, that was the final 25 minutes of game one were his best 25 minutes so far in the series. Oh, so far in the playoffs, clearly in the series as well. Yeah. I would say. I mean, he got eight points in seven games against Toronto, but he didn't command the ice in that series the way that he did, starting with his undressing of Uyghur leading to the penalty leading to the undressing of Ekblad, leading to the tying goal, leading to him basically waving his baton, right? Like he was he was the conductor. He was dictating the tempo, he was dictating pace of play, he was completely in control over the the bulk of the third period. And found found the target on his power play goal, for sure. And we can talk about the incidental contact on Bobrovsky. I'm not sure. With the screen, but with no contact, Bobrovsky has any chance to stop that shot. He didn't see it. No, he didn't. Into the top of the net. Good question, Nick. This comes from Dave. He said, are you guys surprised the Lightning went 11-7? and No. So it was a choice between Ruda and Nash. And I don't know exactly what went into the decision, but Ruda had been healthy. I mean, we we didn't think that he was still dealing with an injury from getting cut in game one of the Toronto series. And who has spent more time with the Lightning this year? Ruda. I mean, that's kind of the way I looked at it. But they could have gone with Nash. And he may get in. I mean, if Point is unable to return anytime soon and the Lightning decide to go with 12 forwards, then 
Nash is going to come in. Or if and or if Chernak is unable to play, assuming the Lightning don't insert another defenseman, a different seventh defenseman, then Nash would come in and the Lightning go with 12 and 6. We're going to find out soon enough tomorrow. You know, they're comfortable doing it. Now, you're more comfortable with Braden Point in the lineup if you want to go 11 and 7 because of the ability to, to move him up and down the lineup. Mm-hmm. But I also thought that was a good way to mix things up and maybe to keep the Panthers guessing a little bit. You know, we talk about matchups and, and lines and, you know, look, having the last change, the Panthers had the ability to dictate matchups a certain way had the lightning gone 12 and 6 but i mean we did i mean dave it was hard keeping up with the line combinations last yeah night. And, and and i think technically the the line with two forwards was belmar and maroon but we saw a lot of perry with belmar and maroon so then you say well maybe the line with two was actually hagel and colton but who was out with hagel and colton a lot of times belmar or yeah. perry so it wasn't like kucherov and sorelli and stamkos and kaloran were getting a ton of double shifting happening for them last night the lightning filled out their their bottom six basically playing those five guys in different combinations at least that's what it felt like to me i agree i uh i i felt the same way and i think it's again the lightning are comfortable but then again when you go 11 and 7 some of that, you feel comfortable when you have Braden Point in the lineup, Eric Chernak mm-hmm. in the lineup. I mean, are they going to go 11-7 and seven if Chernak's not playing? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out uh, how that plays out uh, as well. But because they went with 7-D, when Chernak had to leave the game, they were still at 6. Correct. Now, Cal Foote did leave. There was some talk on Twitter, partner, that he was he was out. I didn't notice for that. For a few minutes. Um, in the second period, I know oh, okay. TV might have mentioned it, and if you looked at his ice time, it wasn't you know it wasn't high. But then again, he doesn't play a ton of minutes. But there were some people that had noticed he was not. Well, on I'm the pretty ice. sure he came back for the third if he was he out in the second. He did. No, he did. He did. It was more of a more of a second period thing. But uh, I don't think anybody asked Cooper any follow ups on that. Um, George wants to know who do you think was the Panthers' most dangerous player last night. I thought, Duclair, I thought Duclair had, yeah, had, Duclair had a good too. game. Duclair had been benched in the Thank deciding God. win over Washington. He played like it, but yeah. Verhage is some kind of player, isn't he? Oh. And you know what? Should we give the backstory a little bit more? Because I know I've people have asked me just around the neighborhood about, didn't we have Verhage? Why did we <laughs> yeah, let him around go? the neighborhood? Hey, you, know what I mean? you have a water cooler in your backyard? <laughs> I do. Look, you know, people know. We're like, hey, you do the you do the lightning stuff. So, you yeah. know, they'll see me out there and they'll be like, hey, let's talk about the series. When, when and... Linelli Landscaping is brought in to <laughs> handle your neighbor's yards. Listen, I, I look, I take time to talk to everybody, even yes, if I'm in the middle of pulling weeds. You're a man you know? of the people. <laughs> yeah, so Verhage was was a restricted free agent at the end of the 2020 cup run, but he had arbitration rights. Same thing happened to Ross Colton. Was it last year? And Colton filed for arbitration, which a lot of, a lot of players do and never actually gets to an arbitrator, mm-hmm. but that basically is a smart move for them to kind of help where they are negotiating in terms of of giving themselves a chance to to get a fair deal there's nothing wrong with filing for arbitration the players earn that right based on his years of service in pro hockey 
So the Lightning felt that Verhage was going to file for arbitration. They must have had an idea that he was going to do that. And they were not confident that they were going to be able to keep him. And this was the same summer that they had to deal with bridge contracts for Sorelli, Chernak, and Sergachev, who were coming out of their entry-level deals, without arbitration rights. But still, they needed new contracts. And so if you have a restricted free agent, you can choose to not qualify that free agent, and he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So this wasn't a situation where the Lightning said, boy, that Carter Verhage is, we don't want him in our organization anymore. I think the Lightning looked at the numbers and said, we don't really see any way that we can keep him based on the other financial commitments we're going to have. And remember, at that point, they didn't know where they were with the three other guys, right? And once you commit to, you know, a player who is going to file for arbitration, I mean, I guess you could still walk away from the ruling and the player becomes a UFA down the road, but the Lightning made the choice to not qualify for Hagee, but it was not due to his ability as a player or how highly or, or poorly they thought of him. They thought incredibly highly of him. He was usually the first guy in when the Lightning had an opening in the lineup. Now, that was a playoff year in which they went with 11-7 and seven quite a bit, but for Hagee got into some playoff games, and he had a very good regular season for them. I think it was it was a contract cap situation concern, not a we don't value this player concern. Or as I heard actually on one of the national broadcasts in the Florida Washington series, that you know Verhage was too far down the depth chart for the Lightning, and so they let him go. It wasn't that at all. The Lightning value depth. They have a good player. They want that player as part of their depth. <laughs> This was a money situation, as I understand it, anyway. So the Lightning's kind of cap crunch became Florida's gain, and what a gain it was. I mean, he has been outstanding for the Panthers. He's, he's, a, he's a dynamic offensive player, isn't he? Yeah, he I mean, is. in this league, he really is. Uh, lastly, Panthers uh, head coach, interim head coach, uh, Andrew Burnett, had this to say about the Lightning going 11-7. and seven. I'm sure it's a fun look for them. They get to get Kucherov. And some of their guys in a couple of different looks and lines, you have to be a little bit aware, obviously, when he's on the ice and where he goes. Yeah, but what what was Kucherov's ice time last night? I don't have the game sheet in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm not sure Kucherov was used. I'm sorry. 22-20. All right. Well, I mean, the Lightning did have six power plays. So maybe, maybe he did see some shifts with with one of the like hybrid lines we'll call it but i felt that most of the time he was out there he was in a top six situation now we've seen the lightning go with 11 and 7 when that line with two forwards is fairly consistent and we're seeing a top six guy fill out that line i don't think that we saw that as much last night but there were special teams not as many as in some of the earlier games but there was a little bit of special teams in the first there was a little bit of special teams in the second, and then the Lightning got the lead. So you're not going to necessarily need to throw Kucherov out there with with Colton and Hagel if you're up 2-1 to one in the third period. You know what I'm saying? I do. Well. But he did play a lot last night <laughs> if he was well over 20 minutes. Yeah, he did. Two shots on goal, 
two points, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll take it. Six, six and a half minutes on the power play, so that kind of speaks to your yeah. your point. He was out there a, a lot. So don't know if Lightning will get six power play opportunities in game two tomorrow, but we'll find out. We'll be on the airwaves noon to one. Another edition of Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play, so stay tuned for that. Partner, rest up and enjoy the beach today. <laughs> yes, and, I'm uh, actually we'll, at the rink. The Lightning oh, will be practicing rink, shortly. So. Oh, that's okay. You can go after. You can go after. And, yes. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow, so thank you. And uh, thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to 1 on Lightning Power Play.